0: You're listening to Just Food, a podcast brought to you by the Berkeley Food Institute at the University of California, Berkeley. I'm Twilight Greenaway.
1: I'm Edmund Almond.
0: This season, we're exploring the complex web of people and places that provide us with our food. We're talking to the people who grow it, prepare it, and work hard to rebuild the broken parts of our food system. The Small Family Farm is an iconic American institution. And across the country, people are chasing the dream of farm life. It's the -the back-to-the-land ideal, right? Find some land and feed the world. Well, not so much. New farmers face a lot of challenges and uncertainties. For instance, a lot of them don't own their land. They lease it. And most of that is owned by non-farming landlords. Their tenants often shoulder the cost of a lot of the upgrades needed to work the land, with very little security. What happens when they put in a $20,000 well and then their landlord decides they want to sell?
1: Here to help us make sense of all of this is Adam Kahlo. He's a graduate researcher at UC Berkeley, and his work focuses on this broken system of agricultural land ownership and use. Adam, tell us about your work here at UC Berkeley.
2: So I'm a graduate student in the Department of Environmental Science, Policy, and Management, and I study California's food system. So I do interviews with farmers in California. I study agricultural policy that influences these types of farmers. And I look to building solutions around this problem of land access for beginning farmers.
1: Tell me, what is a beginning farmer?
2: That's actually a really good question. The USDA defines beginning farmers as farmers with less than 10 years of experience managing an existing farm operation. But other groups think about beginning farmers as maybe someone who is young, uh, who's, who's younger than the national average of farmer, who's starting out. And I think that if we think about who beginning farmers are, we hear one narrative of beginning farmers I see in kind of marketing advertisements, maybe young, college educated, but that might not cover all of the types of new entrants into the agricultural system.
1: I know a lot of people would think this is a, you know, a bit of an esoteric topic, but it has great importance. How did you come to this? What was
2: your interest? My research has been about interviewing farmers who are starting their career in agriculture here in California. And the first thing they told me is the problem is not about how to farm. It's about ability to gain access to land. And that if we want to transition agriculture into something more just and sustainable, farmers need to have a secure tenure arrangement. And with the, the way land value is in California— the challenges with gaining access to land, that threatens to kind of uh, throw the whole sustainable agriculture question on its head. It's a problem that kind of threatens to dead-end the aspirations of what I see as a beginning farmer movement.
1: You're telling me of a situation that sounds pretty much like a landlord-tenant situation for everyday people, almost like renting an apartment or a house, true?
2: Absolutely. The, The same challenges I have with my landlord um, apply to these stories I've been hearing from farmers in my interviews. Um, landlords that have landlord discretion, in which they are choosing some farmers over others to gain that lease. Predatory landlords who may um, describe the quality of a piece of land only to find when the farmer enters into that lease that it's not so. Uh, I think viewing farmers, especially new farmers, as vulnerable tenants uh, is in a compelling way to think about the problem.
1: So how much prep work does a beginning farmer have to do? Is it months? Is it years? What happens before they see the first yield that they can take to market?
2: Well, that's a really interesting question because it relates to the problem of being a tenant farmer. The labor that a farmer puts on to a new parcel only increases in value as they add their labor, whether it's improving the soil, adding some capital improvements like a well or a barn for processing. But if you're a tenant... Imagine doing these improvements to your own house that you're renting. Then the landlord wants to move in. The landlord evicts you. You can't take that value with you. It's sunk in the ground. So
1: a farmer goes in, leases how much land? Maybe an acre, maybe 10 acres, maybe 100. What is, give me the, an idea of the size of some of these farms.
2: Yeah, in California, if you are a beginning farmer, you can you know, try and make a go at it anywhere between uh, half acre um, up to about 10 acres. Um, Depending on where you are renting in California, the rent could be as low as $800 per acre per year up to a complete turnkey operation around $4,000 per acre per year. So this type of agriculture is happening on very small scales and often on the marginal lands that have been overlooked by industrial agriculture. It's in these peri-urban environments because they're chasing these niche markets that urban consumers in the coastal cities are, are buying. The niche market created by farm-to-table creates that space for beginning farmers to to work on small acreage and yet still perhaps work on razor-thin margins and be able to stay in the black.
1: How small are the margins that these farmers have to work on?
2: It's very tight. So for um, an acre of organic strawberry production, um, it could cost maybe $30,000 to prepare um, for that yield. And if everything goes well, then they could make maybe $40,000 on that acre that's if everything goes well. So then you can imagine the potential loss if you have uh, some pest damage or um, you know, perhaps something with marketing that, that leads to rejection of produce. There's this idea that's passed around in the central coast that if uh, you see a piece of land with organic strawberries on it, the next thing you're gonna see the next time you drive down, it's gonna be a condo uh, or a development. And the idea there is that uh, farmers chase high value products and there's only a certain limit Into which the next valuable thing is housing development. And that's the main driver of a lot of this agricultural land loss, which only increases the value of these agricultural lands. Uh, Without any form of legal protection uh, that restricts development, a farmer who's dealing on these margins, they're going to sell. They're going to sell to to development, uh, and that's going to lead to agricultural land loss.
1: How do the farmers get beyond that? I know they have to improve that. They have to increase their margins at some point. How do they do that?
2: Well, there's good data that the space for direct marketing is plateauing, that farmers' markets are becoming saturated. And farmers in this space turn to a variety of strategies. But one strategy is that they leave, they leave the sector, that they, they try it for a couple of years, they might amass some debt, and then they can no longer continue. They, they seek an alternate career. This is especially true for farmers who might come from a uh, college education, who are aspiring to do agriculture as more of a, a, an aspirational choice of how to how to influence a political system they don't agree with, and then have finding that risk of of losing their their nest egg uh, in agriculture they they return to different sectors. I think the other the other type of farmer is one who has additional income, right? What I see in the beginning farmer space and in the in the farm to table space is that farmers are relying on either inherited land to get over that land access barrier. They're relying on funding from institutions and grant money. They're relying on perhaps farming as a second career in order to do agriculture as more of a a hobby, perhaps, uh, in order to reach those niche markets. Some of these farms do an incredible job at stewarding the land, implementing alternative practices, experiments in intercropping. The pollinator diversity is amazing. They're great to learn from. But that model, perhaps if you come in from a position of wealth and privilege, that model is not replicable to sustain the aspirations of this larger beginning farmer movement. Some of the farmers I've worked with in the Central Coast of California come from farm labor backgrounds. They tell me that after being a farm laborer, perhaps working in conventional fields, that they see farming as a farmer, a farm manager, as a way of gaining autonomy in the workplace, where they don't have to listen to, you know, a labor boss. They have a way of practicing agriculture that, that they feel safe in, perhaps uh, without pesticides. Um, these farmers uh, deal a lot with this problem of land access um, because they perhaps don't have the cultural credibility to negotiate with a landlord. We know that 98% of all agricultural land in the U.S. is owned by someone who identifies as white. and the landlord discretion that I was talking about is a racialized aspect of the beginning farmer experience.
1: So one of these people I'd like to meet is Mai Nguyen. She's a California farmer who has had to face these challenges that we're talking about herself. We're going to take you to her farm and let you hear from her what it's like to try to be a farmer today.
3: I'm Mai Nguyen and we are currently in Petaluma, California on a property that I lease. It's seven acres and then um, we're adjacent to another 10 acres that I lease. I'm a grain farmer. I specialize in heirloom varieties that are not patented. I also grow Southeast Asian crops for seed. So right now we're walking up this slope uh, that is mostly ground of sandy loam. So it's actually really good for farming and um, and even though it's on a slope, we're able to grow grains on it because we actually put in a lot of cover crops. Now we're heading into the field of Blanc de mars So this field is about four acres and then you have the break with the barn and the house and then below um, is another three acres i grow about 18 different varieties of wheat Um, i have two that are on a commercial scale of production so it's enough volume that i can sell it to you know bakers and millers but i also grow out heirloom varieties for seed because these are the wheats that you can't find in seed catalogs. I've been farming for six to seven years. The assumption is that you can only be served, your products can only get to market if you're big. And that's a major issue for young beginning farmers such as myself is that I don't have the capital to access that land. Um, my family came as refugees, so they didn't have money or certainly not land to pass on to me. Having enough capital to start up a farm is critical, not just for land access, but also for you know the tools that we need, the seed, building a greenhouse, the infrastructure. It's a very capital intensive process, especially the way that we've set up our farming system, where there's this notion that each farm is supposed to have its own set of structures and we've really moved far away from the systems that really helped build our agricultural system which was through cooperatives. I've been at this property for two years. Prior to that I had farmed at other places for 18 months to a year and had to move each year. Moving every year, you know, it's kind of like when you find a house and you finally settle in and then it's time to move. The crux of the problem for farmers is land. We need that as our foundation. And from there we can grow. And it's, you know, as people have gained political rights, voting rights... It's not as substantive until you own land.
1: Listening to my talk about this, you really understand how important the central issue of land access is and how it's connected to other economic problems.
2: Absolutely. So the most recent survey from the National Young Farmers Coalition, which surveys beginning farmers, uh, many years in a row, they describe that access to land is the primary problem for beginning farmers. But you talk also, the survey also talks about uh, access to capital. Uh, they talk about access to health care, access to housing. So from my standpoint, I see a lot of these problems not as agricultural problems, but the way our economy and our policies are situated. It's, a, it's an equity issue. And I think uh, that's why, to me, the beginning farmer issue is so fundamental is because if this movement can address some of these broader structural issues, then it has the potential to be really transformative.
1: All right. So we've gone through these very strong obstacles that stand in the way of these beginning farmers, these new farmers, farmers trying to transition, you know, from let's say an an older owner to a younger owner. What are the solutions for these people? What do we put in their hands to make them successful so that we can all be fed as we should be?
2: I feel like there's an impulse sitting here from Berkeley. My mind immediately goes to being a consumer. What can I do as a consumer? I'd like to push that impulse away. Because I think relying on our consumer ability to support farmers through market channels only reinforces that idea that a beginning farmer, in order to succeed, has to be a an elite business person, a savvy marketer, someone who can do a handshake with a realtor and negotiate through these channels. If we just focus on consumer action, then I think that status quo is upheld. And so that turns what's, what what can we do, not as a consumer, but as a citizen. And I think for me that... I immediately turn to uh, regional and municipal policy. Something optimistic I've seen is that land use zoning and planning can have huge effects on these types of market arrangements that the land is valued at. And this isn't something that we have to change at the federal level. We don't need a federal food policy, a, a pro-small farmer farm bill, all right? Simply getting more farmer voices, more concerned uh, eaters' voices in some of these housing boards and these zoning boards that decide what percentage of our county's land should be preserved in agriculture um, can alter the dynamics of of this land access dilemma. When I looked at the Beginning Farmer and Rancher Development Program, that all this grant funding was going towards training farmers in entrepreneurism and marketing what if those funds were transitioned to a different type of education, to maybe supporting farmers who normally would have to be taking care of their children or working in the fields to sit on those housing boards? What about educating farmers about their rights as a, as a tenant? What about challenging the existing lease laws that are favorable towards landlords? If some of that funding transitioned to a more policy awareness within the constituency of beginning farmers, I think that would provide tools that would address some of the policy concerns, some of the structural concerns that beginning farmers face.
1: Adam Kahlo, thank you for joining us on Just Food to talk about this important issue. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Just Food. I'm Edmund Almond.
0: I'm Twilight Greenaway.
1: Just Food is a project of the Berkeley Food Institute at the University of California, Berkeley, and was created in partnership with the Berkeley Advanced Media Institute. Muna Danish did the field reporting. Grayland Brashear was the producer with editing from Ben Manila. The music was created by Blue Dot Sessions. You can find Just Food on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can see photos and learn more about the episode topics on our website, food.berkeley.edu.